are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey. I have David Laughlin with me. Welcome, David. Hey. And we are here with Erin Dunn, who's the Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Jepson. Welcome, Erin. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so for having me. So excited to have you. This is amazing. <laughs> We're in your cool office. Um, I wanted to ask you just first of all, so you have an art history degree from UGA. Uh, what year did you arrive in Savannah? So I graduated with my master's in art history in 2014, um, and that was in May, and then I arrived in Savannah in October 2014. So I'm coming up on eight years in Savannah. Oh, here. I love that. So you you kind of went straight from, and you're a Georgia girl. I am, yeah, North Georgia, up near kind of the, the mountains in Chattanooga, yeah. Tennessee area. The northwest of Georgia. Yeah, northwest yeah. Georgia, Ringgold, if anyone's out there, um, and then kind of moved to Atlanta for school at Emory, yeah. and then UGA. For my That's master's. Cool. And then it sounds like you've been in Savannah since pretty shortly after graduating. So your whole professional career has been in Savannah, which is yes. cool. Um, I know I've read from you that you got interested in curation because you took an art history class in high school. And I liked this quote you had about looking at history through the lens of visual culture, I think is very cool. I wanted to ask you, um, do you have a favorite period of history and a favorite period of art history? Oh, that's interesting. Because um, <laughs> they're different, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, yeah. I guess like in history, I was always interested in kind of the Tudors in England. Okay. Which, and then art history-wise, what's a period you really like? Well, I studied contemporary art, so I tend to veer more towards um, post-1945 work. Okay. Uh, looking at photography, more specifically, kind of artists like Renika Dykstra and Thomas Struth, who were beginning to kind of... I mean, everyone's investigating the properties of photography and yeah. how to kind of change the medium, uh, but they really took it in really different directions that were exciting. So if people are going to study art history, do you end up, you're, spe- you're going to be specializing in like either kind of post-1950s or pre? Is that sort of people have to decide? Yeah, they kind of encourage you to make a decision in graduate school, which is a little hard because you don't know where you're eventually going to end up working. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was lucky in ending up at Telfair because there wasn't necessarily someone who was focused in contemporary art and photography, so I was able to fill that niche a little bit. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just have to go and be more of a generalist, even if you did study something more specifically in yeah, school. Yeah. I've curated shows on Russian decorative arts. Which is not something I studied. Oh, in. that's amazing. That no, makes me think that of like, really like Fabergé eggs, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, one collection. Um, it was a traveling show, so it was packaged, which means a lot of the material already came with it. But okay. you know, I had to think about how to display it and talk about it. And so I was really glad for that one seminar I had taken on Catherine yeah. the Great. <laughs> really <laughs> once. You sort of never <laughs> stopped studying because of this. Then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Every time something comes up, you have to do your research and find out how to display. Etc. Yeah, so I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? I think avid curiosity is a skill or a quality that a lot of curators and people in the museum field I think possess. It's kind of yeah. a, a, a necessary quality to be a curator. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you just want to dig deeper, know more, maybe not necessarily become the expert because um, you're trying to explain it to kind of level the playing field and explain it to as many people as you can yeah so how do you take something that does seem very specific and make it more accessible I can't imagine yeah, all the knowledge you get you gained but then it, the you year. know it evacuates to make room for something <laughs> for else the new one <laughs> yeah. maybe I was the old one it's in there somewhere yeah, yeah. what got you into curating in the first place? I think it was Very something... Very broad question. <laughs> yeah. <and yet laughs> I just... I think you just learn what you're good at, right? Yeah. I, so I took a position in a museum and I thought I might like it and be good at it potentially. So, and, and I it think... it sparked your interest. Yeah, it sparked of, my interest. Because of, as we said before, because it's... Uh, you're asking questions, you're exploring. Yeah. And, and you're, you're working with interesting people. to people, too. Mm-hmm. So... That makes sense. Yeah, like I said, it's like the study of history through, you know, the objects that the people had created sure. about it. Yeah. Did you, when you first took the art history classes, did you know that you wanted to get into something in the art history field, or was that just a random class? 
it was just kind of a random class. We had a lot of kind of world culture classes in my high school, so... But I had always been interested when we... I was not, like, you know, for example, we'd talk about opera, and I was like, I'm not... I'm not interested in this as much, and I'm not good at recognizing the music. (laughs) But then when they would talk about the art in class, I feel like, you know, I would light up, kind of. That's cool that you had that much specialization in your high school. I don't remember learning anything. No, I think it was a pretty special opportunity that we were able to have that class. And I think it was just the interest of one of the teachers there who wanted to bring it. So I'm grateful to her. I was wondering, this is just very generally, like, how long, how long past a certain time period does it take for there to be, like, a description of it as a period of art history? Like, the era that we're living in right now, at what point will somebody look back on it and be like, this is what we're describing art as at this state? I don't know, I'm always wondering about that. Is the most recent kind of category of art history is post-postmodern? Is that... <laughs> I need to go back to graduate okay. school to know what they're talking about now. But yeah, everything seems to get a post. There's the post-internet age. There's post-postmodernism. Yeah, yeah. There's, At what point can we describe yeah. the era we're in? Like, it'll have its own word. It won't be post-anything. Yeah. I don't know. I'm always wondering about this. Give it 50 years, maybe? Okay, we'll look back on it. I was yeah. thinking we'll, 10. I'm going to re-interview you in 50 years. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so you recently had a promotion from associate curator to curator. Yes. Can you tell us the difference between those two jobs? So, well, I started the position as a fellowship position and then was hired on as assistant curator, which that position is more kind of assisting all of the curators with exhibitions. Associate curator is still that assisting job, but you're also curating your own exhibitions. Okay. So there's kind of a balance between helping and kind of originating, and then curator is more on more of the originating side. Okay. So, So, like, when you were in the associate, that kind of halfway position is when you started doing a lot of the 912 exhibitions, like Emily Earle, Mm -hmm. and you got to display photos, which I know is your specialty. In museums, are they trying to, like, is there a specific thing of a balance of shows that they do, of, like, paintings and sculpture and photography? Is there kind of a set ratio that people aim for? Yeah, I mean, just kind of what I was mentioning earlier, being as accessible to as many people as we can, we're often thinking about there's not going to be someone who loves photography as much as I do. (laughs) Like, we need to have a balance of mediums, of artists at different ranges in their careers, emerging artists, established artists, artists of different ethnicities, thinking of diversity of artists, men, women, black, white... Um, we're often thinking through kind of balance of schedule in so many different ways. Um, right. And sometimes it doesn't always come together in the way that we might hope, but we can always think, like, you know, we have time to... Um, no, but if you the, have your parameters yes. to yeah. set, and then to go for that, to be able to present that to people. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to hear that. I know it seems the Jepson is, like, really good lately about the balance, like you said, of black and white and men and women, which mm-hmm. is really cool that they're, like formally thinking about that in their planning. Definitely, yeah. I think all museums are very conscious of that. Were you a big part of that, I'm sure? Bring that about. I think it's definitely a group initiative. The museums had it um, wanted to accomplish and make sure that we're representing the community that we live in. Yeah, yeah. Because modern times, that's how we do it. But then it's interesting, like you said, but that bumps up against, like, you have to actually be able to get the art, and you might, it might be coming off a show at somewhere else, and so it's, like, your theor- your desired schedule versus what you can actually yeah. get, right? Yeah, and I think, like, obviously we'll get into this, but I think Hampton is kind of that perfect example of an artist who's representing a Savannah story and is very much part of our community, but is also very much on the cutting edge of what museums and American art are looking at now. How much uh, how much crossover do you have with the Telfair Museum and the Owens Thomas House? Like, are the curators, do you ever kind of work together? Are there, like, overarching things? Yeah, no, we work together as a curatorial team. So Telfair Museums is three sites. The Jepson Center, which is mainly where I work. The Telfair Academy, which is the original institution founded in 1886. And the Owens Thomas House, which the museum acquired in the 50s. Um, And so each site obviously is separated by physical location, um, but we're thinking of ways to bring art into all those spaces or think through historical narratives in all of those spaces. Yeah, yeah. 
because I like how even at the Owens Thomas house where it's you know like it's a it's a home museum you wouldn't think that things would change but they do they do like kind of trade out the objects in there and kind of focus on different exhibitions in there still which is cool Definitely, yeah, and we have a new curator over there, newish, uh, Elise Gerstenecker. She's been doing a fantastic job of thinking about um, how some of the rooms have changed. So they've updated spaces to tell the story of um, the girls and bed and boys' bed chambers in there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which kind of tells the story of not only the family that lived there, but the um, enslaved individuals who were there um, as well, and kind of what they would do in those spaces. Yeah, yeah. I know they've done a lot of work of the design work in there of like the interior design of the fabrics in there and the curtain. Mm-hmm. I know that a big part of your job is doing studio visits with local artists. Is that, that started up again post-COVID? It is. It was so hard to not have that as part of my job during COVID times yeah. because I think it's one of the more exciting aspects of what I do um, is just getting out there and knowing the artists in the community, what they're working on, um, what exhibitions they have upcoming, who they recommend and that we go. be there in person. Yes. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I did a few virtual studio visits. Um, shout right. out to, <laughs> I think, Randy Akers <laughs> and Cameron Charon, yeah. who we did the studio visits walking with. around with a phone, like, <laughs> FaceTiming you. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to, but it's hard to get the entirety of a work you know, in the phone and yeah, yeah, absolutely. You never know what laptop. little corners of their studio you might be missing that you want to poke around in. <laughs> yeah, which I'm often poking around and saying like, "Do you have a work? Did you ever try this?" And then they'll be pulling something from their archives. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things that happens in the physical space that right. you just can't you just do virtually. Yeah. What are um? Is there any like kind of fun, surprising thing you've come across recently in a visit? Um, we just did studio visits on Friday with Gabe Torres and Jennifer Moss, um, and we went over to Laney Contemporary to see Yam oh. Choi's exhibition, um, and I guess shout out to Jennifer, too, on this. We, you know, she was talking about how she had moved from Sulphur into her home, and so how that was kind of creating, um... She was working on a new body of work oh. that the space, the ability to be able just to work from home was giving her okay. um, in her new space. Does so. she have more space at home, like a larger room? I think it was just things? the um, ease of not having to kind of travel or get ready for the day, essentially. Like, she was able to wake up and start working. Oh, interesting. On in her space. own time. And on without, her own time. Yeah. Yeah. And without having to put the makeup on and have to wear them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and Sulphur is very public space, too, very which is, is great and invites a lot of conversation. Um, but sometimes, you know, just like I do, you want to close your door. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, what is your, your favorite aspect of your job and your least favorite oh, gosh. aspect? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think seeing something come to fruition after years and years of working on it. Like the Hampton show, yeah. like having a, you know, checklist in Microsoft Word and not knowing what it's going to look like necessarily on the walls, and then it comes together. I imagine that during that process that you're probably, not necessarily for all of them, but there had to be a few where you just had a sigh of relief <laughs> when it finally came together the way yes. you wanted it to. Yes. Uh, has there ever been any that... No, that's not a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's I'm not calling out me. We're days. not going there. No. Okay, I, I just realized right when just I was just write trying. it down on a piece of paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sliding the piece oh, of paper that one? across oh, to you. Okay, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess that's always the fear, right? Is that something isn't well, going to be envisioned? Why you do it, yeah. isn't it? Because it's it's exploring. That's an art in itself. Yeah, and it's. Uh, uh, rewarding. Yeah. And also, you're not always going to please everyone, and sometimes shows are experimental, and they <laughs> they might be different than what people were expecting, because um, people do come into things with expectations. <laughs> but I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like the surprises. Yeah. Especially you're you're like an agent of chaos in general. So <laughs> yeah. That's, thing. that's good. Um, what it, do you have a, a least favorite aspect of being a curator? It's a lot more sitting at your desk than you would think. <laughs> okay. It's a lot of answering emails. Ah. Yeah. So. How far in advance, how long does it take to plan something? A show like the one you have on that's a career retrospective and the work is coming from different areas of the country. Like, how, when did you have to start planning for this? I think we started this particular one before COVID or maybe right around the time. So wow. March 2020. Okay. Did COVID. Wow. 
throw in a wrench in it, or is that just how long it takes to plan it? It maybe threw in a slight wrench in that I felt like I couldn't access some of the collections um, and, like, going to people's homes yeah. and looking at the work because it was, you didn't want to enter people's spaces and make them uncomfortable. Was some of it, some of it is borrowed from people in Savannah? Uh, a few of the works are from Savannians. Uh, some are from Atlanta, and okay. a lot of them are from the St. Louis area. So can you talk us through, I'm so curious, so say you decided on this artist to show. How did you come across him, first of all? So he's actually represented in Telfair Museum's collection. Uh, we have a watercolor work called Young Girls of Savannah. Oh, that we all that yeah, yeah, we all love and have shown. And Harry DeLorme, who's the curator of education and senior curator, he had featured that work in an exhibition in the 90s called Looking Back, Art okay. in Savannah. Um, and so when it came up for sale at an auction... We all jumped on it. We're like, this has to be part of Telfair's collection. It's also, it depicts, it's like an area, I think it said West Gwinnett Street, and there's a railroad overpass, and then a couple of girls walking below it. It was very... So glad that people read the labels. I loved that particular (laughs) piece, and yes, I read all the labels. (laughs) Yeah, and so I think later, um, we got in contact with um, a gallerist uh, named Tom Pegg, who has a lot of Hampton's collection and because he had known the artist in St. Louis and acquired the work um, after his passing. And he was like, I don't know if you know what the rest of Hampton's work looks like, but it's really incredible. Oh, yeah. And so it kind it of... really took off in whole directions And that. I think, you know, a lot of people enter the exhibition. It's just kind of a teaser for what you might see, but they're all kind of asking, is this all the same artist? Because uh, yeah, the style yeah. is so experimental yeah, and, you know, evolves so drastically. So you'll yes. see... You'll see the works like Young Girls at Savannah, but you also see abstract works and um, different types of materials. Well, what time span have you got with this? Then? So Sorry. we look at work from the earliest work we have in the exhibition. Oh, I was about to say 1952, but there might be one slightly earlier than that. So it's like late 1940s to 2010s. Yeah. So. so And it looks like a lot of it is from the 50s and 60s, so it covered that whole like abstract expressionist era, which mm-hmm. is really cool that he kind of, yeah, so I want to talk about like his specific show in a second, but I did just want to keep asking, so you came across this name, and then how do you, what's your first steps in like finding all of the art and like getting it from all these different places? Yeah, so Tom <laughs> was a great resource in knowing who had collected Hampton's work uh, during his lifetime, okay. and and then I mentioned he was a gallerist, so he knew who, who the work had sold to. Um, so was able to make those connections wow. for us. Because otherwise, how how would you unearth, like, who's bought a particular person's work over the years? It's kind of incredible. Yeah, and, and then and when we started to get the word out about this exhibition, there were a few people in Savannah who also mentioned that they had collected his work um, because he had spent almost 20 years in Savannah. Yeah. So, and I've walked into people's homes and been like, that's a handsome. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Wow. That's what you meant, because as we were saying, he has all these different styles that he's done. So it's kind of interesting that you could walk into a house and, like, pick one out and know that it was him. Yeah, and he has, it nice. helps that he has a distinctive signature, and okay. he always signs <laughs> the front of his them. works. <laughs> Artists. <laughs> Helpful. <laughs> so if this were happening, if it weren't during COVID, you might have been, like, traveling to different parts of the country to see art, like, in... In, a muse- in another museum or in some of these houses? Yeah, and I think, you know, COVID also made us a little more budget conscious in terms of exhibitions, so, um, you know, maybe I wasn't searching for loans all the way across the country, right, right. <laughs> thinking more kind of East Coast, like who has the work here, um, and yeah, maybe a yeah. little less traveling than I would have. And, and this artist, it seems his life was kind of split between Savannah and St. Louis, is that right? Yeah, so he was a professor at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, okay. which is kind of outside of St. Louis. Okay, cool. Um, how, how would it work if you, I know that sometimes like you're doing an exhibition and it's kind of going on the road afterwards, either before or after you, and it's going to a different museum. So you said that a lot of your job is sitting and doing emails, so you have a lot of like relationships with other museums where you're passing shows around to each other, right? Um, that's the ideal way to kind of work through bringing exhibitions, I think, to have a network of people who are working on interesting projects, and they're like, we think this might work with the Telfair audience, and it's something that we have the space and availability for, yeah. and yeah, that's the best. That's the ideal. <laughs> yeah. Are there any particular museums that you kind of have had, like, multiple things like this, where you can you, it works for both of you? 
with us in them. Oh, there's well. There's any that have inspired you? <laughs> uh, I mean, there are tons of museums I would love to work with, but kind of one of the you know, easiest ways to maintain a connection is people who have a love for Telfair. So, I mean, Courtney McNeil, who is the chief curator here, is now at the Baker Museum in Naples, Florida. And so we've had conversations about different exhibitions, and they're actually taking an exhibition that Telfair is organizing with the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C. Oh, that's cool. About um, the photographer Frank Stewart. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to be able to share Stewart's photography, not only in the Savannah audience, but Florida audience and oh D.C. Yeah, it's a beautiful museum yeah. like, from the D.C. area. So to talk specifically about the show, let me just give a little, a little description of what the exhibition we're talking about. It's called Feels Like Freedom, Philip J. Hampton. And he lived from 1922 to 2016, and he was a professor and chair at Savannah State. Um, and one thing I thought was really cool about his history, he organized the first exhibition of African-American art at the Telfair Museum in 1959. Is that right? Yes. Um, do you know much about how that exhibition went, how it was received? There's if he so struggle to get that done yeah the only notes we really have are the telfair board minutes and newspaper articles Ooh. that came out around the time that so i did a lot of that what i consider like investigative research yeah. <laughs> around yeah. this exhibition um and so the board minutes just say that hampton wrote a letter to the board of trustees asking if they could do an exhibition of local african-american artists yeah um and it just said that the board after some discussion like unanimously agreed so that's that that's like yeah but it was a very like important (laughs) step forward for the institution like really a watershed moment because they hadn't had an exhibition of african-american artists i mean that's cool to hear that they just were like yes let's do it and he didn't have to you know yeah i'm sure there you know like we don't get to know all the nuance around what that conversation was yeah Um, no but it sounds like there was little deliberation about it <laughs> what were that? And you said that she found some articles at the time. What? what yeah. Were, what was the ton of those? So there was a coverage from the Savannah Morning News, um, and that kind of had a nice listing of some of the artists that were included. So it mentioned mm-hmm. Hampton, and that he had a marine landscape in there. Um, so I think like a handsome portrait or something is how they described okay. it. And then there was a. They also mentioned that Virginia Jackson Kaya had a work in the oh, exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Of Kaya Hall. Um, right. Yeah, so she created her own like museum for the masses in Savannah, again, kind of in response to institutions of art that may have excluded her. Wow. Um, so she had a portrait of Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, oh. I'm saying that name right, yeah. um, who was an educator. In Savannah. Where were the, so that would have been at the, the Telfer Museum. What, do you and know what area? I don't know area? what gallery okay. space it was, yeah. and I don't know how long it went up. Um, I know it was open September 1959, okay. um, and it said it would stay up depending on the interest of the public. Wow, interesting. Which is an interesting thing, because obviously we come up now with exhibition schedules that say this exhibition will stay yeah, for three yeah. months or so. <laughs> Um, but then I guess they were flying a little more by the seat of their huh. pants in a terms of. More leeway. <laughs> so <cool. Yeah. laughs> Do you know, um, was any of the work from that show, did it end up in the permanent collection of the Telfair after that? Not that I know of, and I would seriously doubt that it did because Telfair didn't acquire work by an African American artist until 1977, oh, I wow. think. Okay. When we acquired a print by Jacob Lawrence, which again is very late um, and should have been yeah. achieved earlier. Like, compared to other museums, they would have started yeah, collecting yeah. black art earlier. Do you know, so when um, Philip Hampton came to, like, he got a job, you know, moved to Savannah for this job at Savannah State, was he, like, the only black professor there? Were there a lot of, do you know what the situation was like for him? Well, I mean, he was working at Savannah State, so there were obviously lots of black professors, but in terms of the art department, um, I'm not sure how many people were part of that department. I know that before he started, there had been one other professor, Walter Augustus Simon, who was a more kind of nationally known artist, who had come in 1948 and had stayed one year. Um, But he helped kind of build certain classes and foundations. He created a few murals that are still in existence out at Savannah State. Um, So he left a little bit of a footprint, and then Hampton kind of got to build on what he had done. And it sounded like he was teaching there for what, was it 15 years, 12 years? He taught there for 17 years, years. and he ended up as... um, director of the department okay. by the time he left and re- received, you know, outstanding teacher award. And and the thing is, he wasn't only involved in the state, he was involved throughout the community. Like, he taught at the JEA. 
He yeah, taught at this, or he had classes at the Span Art Association. He taught workshops. How so? Okay, so that show that he did here was 1959. How long had he been? Do you know what year did he start teaching at Savannah State? 1952. Okay, so it's like he was a professor for seven years, and then yeah. felt like he had the clout to approach the museum. Yeah, to do a I show. think so. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think there are a few important points I wanted to make about the exhibition. One is that this was a collaboration with Savannah State University. Um, I worked with Dr. Peggy Blood, uh, who's a professor over there, and she and I um, were so thrilled to be able to tell more aspects about Hampton's life and the importance he had um, to Savannah State and to the Savannah community in general. So at their Kennedy Fine Arts Gallery, they have an exhibition on view called The Early Years. Okay. And so that's focusing more on the kind of the earlier part of his career. Yeah. Like um, his social realism, his paintings of Savannah. Yeah, focusing on those for sure. Um, and that's a really beautiful installation. And they're open Monday through Fridays, 9 to 5. So do you know how, so the show here goes through January. Do you know how long their show is going to go for? Yeah, I think their show <laughs> will go through the same amount of time. Oh, great. So they just open. We just opened, so you really can just have a Hampton-filled day yeah. coming to the Jepson Center and going to Savannah <laughs> So everybody, State. you have multiple months to get to these shows. No yeah. Excuse. Everybody go to them. And then if you want to take Hampton home with you, uh, <laughs> Telfair Museum oh, yeah. just published a catalog. <laughs> take Hampton um, home with, with you. With the um, you know, title of the exhibition, Feels Like Freedom, and it features all of the works that are included in Telfair's exhibition and Savannah State's exhibition, oh, wow. as well as um, an essay that I published um, and an essay by Tom Pegg, who was the gallerist that we were working with as part of this cool, exhibition. All of the works, that's that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Who How designs and organizes the, the we, books for these? We were really fortunate that um, Tom worked with us to design the book. They pretty much took on the heft of um, designing and publishing it, so... I was able to contribute my writing yeah. and <laughs> not worry too much about the rest of it. May I see that? Of course. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's very it's professional a looking. Book. It's a beautiful coffee table book. <laughs> okay, well, I want to go ahead. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back. Again, this is Tamara and David and Aaron Dunn, and we'll be back soon. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 F. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Tamara and David. We're sitting with Aaron Dunn at the Jepson Center. Aaron, our curator of modern and contemporary art, and we were talking about the show that she's recently put on, which is Feels Like Freedom, Philip J. Hampton. Um, it's a retrospective of his life. So I wanted to ask you in the show, which um, I had looked at a few of the images online before I came, but you really have to come see it in person because... Of course. It's very cool. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's, well, because so much of it in his mid-career, he gets into so much collage and it's just really hard to like appreciate that in a little photo online um so i did want to ask 
since a lot of his pieces, they're from the 50s and 60s, and they have a lot of, like, string and wire and bits of plastic incorporated into them. And I'm curious to hear how you go about, like, how that those items wear over time. Yeah. And when you receive the art here, if you ever are some... Like, not for him specifically, but just any art. If it comes to you for a show and you notice that things have degraded over time because of materials, what you go about doing about that? It's an interesting question, especially with this type of exhibition where most of the art existed in people's homes before it came to the institution. So we weren't able to see all of the works in person before they arrived. Um, Many of them were in great condition, and what we do is have um, the registrars of the museum shout out to Jen and Margaret, do condition reports on each work of art, which means that they examine it and look at anything that may be an issue um, and then speak to the collectors or whoever owns the work in case something needs to be addressed before the exhibition opens. Um, You know, there were moments in this exhibition where a frame arrived that was kind of popping off in a way, and we had to ask if it would be okay to reframe the work or remount the work. that would be... That's interesting, yeah. and then the person, they are getting back their artwork in even better condition, and they sent it <laughs> up, which is interesting. Actually, one work was so cool because we had wanted to remat it just because the mat was a little um, older, and it yeah, was starting to yellow. yellow. Um, and when we opened the back of the work, uh, Hampton had used a, a painting that he never finished as the backing. Oh. oh so we took off the backing, and it was oh, a yeah. figurative study on oh. the back, so... We took that out and we asked the collector if they wanted that work back That's separately. That's a nice surprise. Um, was it, do you mean it was a separate item in the back or how, how did you take it off? Yeah, so it was like the backing for the work and, you know, we took it off okay, um, okay. to get to the painting in the mat. Um, and so then we didn't That's put funny. it back on because bonus. it was another painting. <laughs> <A> bonus artwork. <laughs> yeah. At what, so for, for the show that opened at the beginning of October, what when does the art arrive to you and get registered like that? How long ago? We usually try to receive the work about um, three or four weeks in advance of the exhibition. Okay. Um, and generally don't... That's just to safely make sure we have time to get all of the works um, before installation. I mean, we start installing two to three weeks before the show opens. Oh, okay. Um, especially if we're deinstalling a show, repainting the galleries, yeah, building walls. Do. You might notice there were a lot of kind of walls separating certain spaces in this yes, installation. Yes, the of the space. And that was to kind of create areas um, to talk about different decades or different yeah. sections well, of his career. Different types of his art. Yeah. yeah. Right. How, so if, if a piece, like you said, needs to have a little conservation work done to it, where does that happen? So fortunately, none of the works here required extensive con- conservation. Um, our registrars and preparators are very equipped to kind of fix smaller problems um, yeah. associated with works. If we have a work in the collection that requires conservation, that's something, because we don't have a conservator on staff like the Met or MoMA, yeah. um, we're usually sending that off to a conservator, um, often in Atlanta okay. or South Car- Charleston maybe. Like a private yeah, so it'd be someone who, you know, we send photos of what, you know, is wrong with the work, and yeah. they offer paths forward to um, fix it. That's very cool. I'm very interested in that, especially um, work that was done on paper, which I imagine you have a lot of issues with things yellowing over time. Yeah, and sometimes it's just inherent to the work. There's a lot of photography that that's just the way that the, you know, color is going to degrade. Yeah. And you kind of just have to accept it as part of the medium. But museums are probably the best place for those works because we keep them stored properly and we only show them occasionally yeah. climate control yeah, and we have climate control yeah I guess that's the other issue of getting things from people's houses is that you just you know you never know how they've been housed all this time yeah. <laughs> <which is> cool. <laughs> it's always a fun surprise yeah. this, this exhibition had a lot of like I haven't seen that work in person I hope it's yeah. as vibrant as it looks on a tiny thumbnail <laughs> <laughs> there was the one piece where like in the era where he's experimenting with the shapes of canvases there was one beautiful one where it's like two very oddly shaped canvases kind of put together and it's to represent the American flag being disjointed mm-hmm. as a metaphor for his experience as a black man in America and there were like this material that looks like it's joining it that uh, it looked like electrical tape but it was probably plastic right? yeah it's a plastic yeah yeah so he's really playing with mediums and shapes of canvases and it- I appreciate you pointing out kind of that political message behind that work. Um, One thing I try to do within the exhibition is to really think through the context of what it meant for him to live as a black man in Savannah 
And also what it meant for him to be a black artist in America. Yes. So we're kind of pulling out those two threads in the exhibition um, and thinking in terms of other artists who are working beyond the confines of the rectangular canvas form, yeah. like Sam Gilliam, um, or artists who are moving into abstraction like Norman Lewis because they don't want to just be seen as a black artist. One thing I thought was, I mean, one aspect in one of the wall labels you had, which the labeling is great, and there was a part where it talked about that when he arrived here in town, he kind of immediately bought a car because he didn't want to have to ride the buses and be faced with the discrimi- the segregation on the bus system, right? which was fascinating and kind of pointed, I mean, it was interesting since he arrived here and had a job as a professor that he like was able to purchase a car, which not everybody might have been able to do. So right. that was kind of an interesting aspect of him. And then another thing I thought was cool was um, in when he got into the mid-career where he started experimenting and getting into things that like in that same realm of, like, Jasper Johns or Rauschenberg, mm-hmm. where it's very, like, abstract expressionist. And there's a part where it talks about in the wall labeling that black artists would come up against criticism because people would say that, like, like they were shirking their duty of only talking about black issues by just getting into these, like, formal aspects of painting, which I thought is so fascinating yeah. for him. Like, maybe, you know, he started out his career doing these social realism paintings, and then maybe he just, like wants to move on to something different and have different types of art, but you have this weight of, like, other people's ex- expectations on you that you're only going to talk about black issues. Yeah, no, you pretty much <laughs> summed it up right okay. there. Like, that's a perfect explanation of the pressures they felt not only to, yeah, depict black life in their work and uplift um, kind of their black community um, as artists, but also they wanted to be seen as just capital A artists. Yeah. They wanted to show their work in galleries in New York um, and not be pigeonholed necessarily. Have the work speak for itself. Yeah. He has developed as a person, not as anything else, just internally. Yeah, Yeah. and their exhibition opportunities were limited, you know, and, and so, like, when they could expand into art that was talking more to form and line and color, like, that allowed them to be included more in these inclusive yeah. exhibition opportunities. So I was thinking that would be difficult, like, if you keep on where you're just talking about issues in the community, then, like, yeah, maybe you don't... Well, you end up getting pigeonholed. Yeah, and then you, you're not even being able to show your art, and cert- like, you're being criticized for only keeping your art to a certain small aspect and mm-hmm. not able to show it in larger spaces. Because I was thinking about, just as a woman, if, like, you know, maybe you're making art about women's issues or you're writing about women's issues, and then the greater society looks at you and says, oh, that's just, she's just writing about women's mm-hmm. stuff, and it's not considered to be part of society. It's considered to be a small aspect of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that, you know, maybe I wish I had discussed a little more about in the exhibition is that Hampton was interested in so much. He was interested right. in world culture, um, in American art, like he, and just art in general, like he would write papers referring back to Plato and then thinking through Picasso's work. And then, you know, so he's aware of the history of art, of just history in general. He's looking at Egyptian culture um, yeah, for his yeah, work. Cool. And it's just like there's so much to pinpoint that he's, he's exploring his yeah. world, yeah. literally. Yeah. There, yeah, there was a part where he talks about that he like wrote off to some art supplies company and they sent him a bunch of acrylic mediums and yeah. then he started getting into working with acrylic mediums. 300 gallons of this material called Roplex, which is an acrylic emulsion paint. Is so. that still, I've never heard of that. Is that still around? I don't know. Um, I think I looked them up. Like the company still exists. Okay. Uh, but yeah. I wonder if we could just write to companies and <laughs> get things sent to I was going to say, us. you can just write them <laughs> and they'll cool do idea, this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it. yeah. I love that this guy did that. Yeah, he was also very so scientific cool. minded. Like he was interested in how man-made synthetic materials um, can Let's be made see into how this art. Works. Yeah, the materials. Yeah, Let's so see was, what happens. He was a pop artist too, in a way. Yeah, and then, and then there was a whole That's section great. of art where they, he had like these sort of wire grids between the wooden frame, and then the paint is just sort of like resting on these wire grids. Like there's no canvas at all. Yeah, it was cool. And he made those frames. He designed that string matrix. And everyone at the opening was asking how he had made the paint kind of float on the yeah. surface like that. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately <laughs> never got to meet the artist and ask him those questions. Yeah. Some people knew him um, and said that he had worked on a flat surface and had used something like Vaseline or something to like help adhere it. But okay. yeah, it's, kind, it's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. Did did the was there any issue with the wire over time? Like, does wire change or? I think. 
you know, I mean, rust. I think there will be some degradation. Your rust is what yeah. you're getting at. But I guess <laughs> yes, it goes. He made them in the 50s and 60s. They still they're looking pretty good now. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, but if they're coated. Okay. Yes, there's now always I'm conservation issues. I mean, we're showing an artist right now, well, in an exhibition that opens in a week or two, um, who made work on cardboard. And oh, that's an yeah. interesting that's one too. Like, really? Good. <laughs> yeah, we have to be careful that. when and where we show that. <laughs> yeah, or like um, if you're showing somebody's whole life retrospective and their early stuff is just on newsprint when you just are making like crappy little drawings. Yeah, newsprint. I'm sure does mm. not <laughs> doesn't hold up forever. It doesn't hold up much at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so artists, if you want your legacy to stay intact, yeah, try <laughs> think about your material materials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one cool piece I just wanted to talk about. Uh, he had one where it's like a view of the Savannah River, but it's from a position where he's like standing across the river on Hutchinson Island, and there's a big part of the canvas is just the river, and then you see the, the buildings of Savannah River. And uh, he had like, there's like, one of those boats that we still that mm -hmm. we have nowadays is like Georgia Queen kind I know, of like yeah. dramatic looking boats. Oh, the riverboat. Yeah, yeah, the beautiful riverboat is there, and like the gold dome of the city hall was there, which was very cool. And one thing I thought was really funny is there was only like a few human figures walking around. So I, I know it was River Street, not yeah. <laughs> very crowded at that time. Right. So I think it's a scene that we're so used to seeing, and even many artists have painted it over time. His, I think, has a lot of really interesting differences from yeah. some of the work that were maybe more typical of? of the scene. Um, the way he's playing with color and that, he's kind of breaking it up almost Cubist-like yes. um, in terms of the water and the sky. And yeah, in that scene, I looked up, you know, a Google view of it recently and, you know, just showing how all those tall buildings behind City Hall aren't there. Yeah. And, like, the yeah. sky's a little more open. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and there aren't that many people. It's not quite the tourist it was more scene of a that we're used to. Area than what it is. Yeah, now. that's why I was so surprised to see that it had one of those like Savannah Queen riverboat type yeah. things that they had that back then. Yeah. And I thought it was really beautiful the way he depicted the row of of like cotton warehouses along River Street where they just are sort of like vaguely red brick brown like kind of just daubs of paint all over the place and it gives the impression where you're like oh yeah those are brick buildings yeah it's just very like vaguely done and you really can tell that they're brick buildings yeah he's able cool. to give you a lot of specificity in a very uh, like gestural way yeah, yeah. But mostly with it's color yes. yes i mean yeah let's just say it <laughs> let's say the word color okay it just he, yeah. used, he used the color to convey Okay, well, that is kind of all of my specific questions about this show. So, David, do you, I think you have some. Well, I was wondering: is there been, and it's been up for, uh, but have there been any uh, any part of the show that has been memorable to you? Any particular piece that really stuck out? Oh man, I have so many favorites. I, I mean, know it's like <laughs> asking what your favorite kid is or something. <laughs> well, you know, Tamara mentioned. Yet, <laughs> the gridded string works earlier and those were some of the first that I saw in a collector's home like I hadn't seen the works in person that's what drew you in and I got to see those works and I realized that he had built the frames mm -hmm. and he had created I mean I had never seen that before I had never seen paint floated on a gridded string matrix yeah. before and that's when I was like oh he really does need to be seen by people his creativity and his just kind of evolution as an yeah. artist is such an important <laughs> And then story that, to tell. that opened up for his sense of exploration to you. Yes, yeah. What. And then I could compare it to the work in Telfair's collection, The Young Girls of Savannah, and be like, let's examine this expansiveness. Yeah. Sure. So cool that it's the same artist doing this, too. Yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite aspects of the show, too, is that I was able to meet Hampton's family. Many of them still live in Savannah, um, and they actually um, loaned the thesis painting um, that he put on when he graduated from the Kansas City Art Institute in 1952 oh. and that was kind of the work that kicks off the show yeah. um, and then they loaned so many um, family photographs and kind of archival material uh, for the exhibition so you really get to know him as a person through his kind of like family and through these sketches he would make in Thunderbolt and just through the life he lived here. Were there any pieces that surprised you that you hadn't been familiar with? Um, I mean, I think the whole show surprised me in the beginning when I was researching it. Fair enough. Um, because I didn't <laughs> know if he was just the social realist painter. I mean, those works were beautiful and interesting, too, and had a lot of relevance to the city. Um, but, yeah. 
all the work. <laughs> it is hard. It's like picking your child. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like uh, another question was which item might you want to keep? <laughs> um, well, but I mean, I Tamara mentioned really the Savannah scene. I think any Savannian walking into that show is really drawn to that You work. must have a good collection of your own, though. Um, I mean, not just Oh, of my own. My own. Your art. own. Yeah. I, you know. I have a. I she like. Does. I like art. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have such opportunity here, and and in your role. Yeah. Here. No, you, you, uh, Aaron and her husband are awesome about collecting local. I have several work. Tamara Garvey's. Yes, in my that's what I was going to say. I really wow. appreciate it. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> yeah, we've done a trade. I love that. That's right. I love my piece from you. <laughs> okay. Well, is there any that uh, any piece that you may have uh, that, that you wished you had in his collection that wasn't available that is still available to see? I think I'm going to answer kind that of a question. Convoluted question. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say I think there are a lot of Philip Hampton works that I don't know about. Mm. That's and why those I mean, are the ones he was I pretty want. prolific Some because oh. yeah, I think there are many people who have his work in their collections that you know, didn't know that there were people interested in telling his story. Yeah. Um, and so I hope that, you know, maybe they hear about this exhibition. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to hear if people get excited about get having, you, maybe. yeah, and get in touch with me or get excited about even just having that work in their class. I learned a lot that I didn't yeah. know through working on this artist. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, would just be such a great uh, opportunity to do that. I'm, I'm quite envious, yeah. as a matter of fact, <laughs> with uh, what you've got going on here. Of her work as a curator? Yes. Yeah. Well, that it's never too late, David. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, did you, I think you wanted to ask her some about just photography in general? Um, well, that's more of a personal uh, uh, about photography because, like I said, it, it took me a long time to mm -hmm. appreciate it. Yeah. And what, what about it, and it's hard to say, I would imagine, but what about photography is interesting to you? What drew you to that more than, say, other mediums? I don't know. That's a hard yeah, question. Yeah, I know. I, I tend to, once I learn more about the artist, become really interested in the work. So because I'll just, then you're seeing it through their eyes. Yeah, I'll just speak through the lens of the recent exhibition I curated okay. earlier this year, Bruce Davidson Face to Face. I mean, the museum got a gift of 348 of his photographs. Wow. And I had known Davidson's name, but I had never dove deeply into his work before and he's someone who spends long periods of time with the people he's photographing mm. um, and so like weeks to months where he's just getting to know someone wow. and like kind of live really gets to know them yeah. yeah and so for me like his photographs reflected this kind of empathetic and personal viewpoint oh. that was really beautiful um, and so the chance to kind of pinpoint those images for people to see and discover those stories yeah was great yeah. but yeah each artist has a very different viewpoint and like any medium there are so many different different types of photographers the documentary photographers right. the portrait photographers the you know digital you know post-digital <laughs> photographers <laughs> yeah you seem like you really you're just you're like a lover of just history and sort of anthropology and people in Stories. general. So for you, like, photography maybe is, like, more of a direct way to experience that than paintings are. I love that. That's so good. Yes. And I think that's why I was drawn to, like, for my thesis um, in, call, in grad school, Renika Dykstra, who did portraits of people. And something about the way that people look at you mm. through her portraits and, like, connect with you felt like you were having a connection with someone, even though they might have been years removed. and. Oh. You know, time what, removed. What was that artist's name again? Renika Dijkstra. Cool. And anyone who's actually Dutch will probably pronounce it very differently. But <laughs> that's the Americanized version. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any, are there any other um, particular shows coming up next to the Jepson that you can talk about? Well, I mean, I know this goes through January, but little teasers. Yeah. So I mentioned the photography exhibition about Frank Stewart. So okay. please keep an eye out for that. Um, and then I'm also working on an exhibition about the artist residency on Osaba Island. Oh, okay. Um, during the 60s and 70s um, and kind of the history of Sandy West and her husband Clifford kind of developing this 
residency program for artists and kind of who yeah. went through that and you how know, do we still think about nature and creativity today? So I just interviewed um, the next show that's going to come out is uh, this group of four women who have a writers club. They're called Wednesday Writers, and one Ooh. is uh, Susan Earle. Yeah, and, um, and so she, Susan, we talked to Susan yeah. as part of the. She said she originally exhibition. came to Savannah because she was at that Aspa Island retreat decades ago, which is very cool. So yeah, we talked to Susan, um, and she gave us more information about her um, husband John's work. So that would be so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, just sort of curation in general. Do you, uh, if you advice for people interested in getting into this as a field, is there? Anything else that you wish you'd known, other than art history, that you think is good to study or intern in or anything like that? Well, I also majored in English. <laughs> Maybe that side of the stories and interest in language is, yeah. comes out in some of my exhibitions. So I think just follow your passions in terms of... I mean, sometimes I wish I had also majored in business. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. Don't um, we all? <laughs> uh, do you, do you, are you the one who writes the wall labels for everything? Yes. The text and everything? Okay. And yeah. you said there's just a lot of communication with other museums, so English. Is yeah, um, and then I would say if you're one thing I wish I had done was to be more involved in curation while I was in school, because like we kind of talked about, it was kind of a leap into the dark after school to see if I was good at it or liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, have friends who are artists put on exhibitions of their work. Yeah, yeah. Find spaces to do that in. Take little steps like write that. about it get information out there to people, try those things. So since we're talking about it, now that you've been in Savannah for years and you have so many artist friends, <laughs> like, do you have any plans of doing any uh, freelance curation on your own? Yeah, I think that would be really fun. Um, yeah, it's definitely just finding the space, time, and energy yeah, beyond yeah. my mm -hmm. <laughs> beyond normal <day> job. job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be very curious to see what you might put on. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I think we getting toward the end of our interview, we have a few general questions we like to ask everybody. Oh, okay. Um, so I will ask you if you uh, are walking down the street alone or getting ready to get out, do you have a, a song that you love that is like plays in your head to juice yourself up a little bit? Oh, man. <laughs> I like, you know, I should song. have such a great your theme song answer in your head. <laughs> I think it changes um, yeah. all the time. For some reason, Walking on Sunshine came into my head. <laughs> but I think just because I listened to that recently. Yeah, that's a great answer. Well, that's the most recent, so that works. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> Are there any particular jobs you've had before which have contributed to your approach or execution of the of your what you do now? Yeah, I mean, I think I just tried to take jobs that I thought would be tangentially related to what I was interested that in. Would so make sense. I worked for a sculptor named John Henry um, in college where I just you know, put together an archival room of his, you know, maquette sculptures and archives and would, you know... That's very cool. Yeah, like watch him put giant works of art together oh. and learn about that process. Was that and in Athens? That was actually in Chattanooga. Oh, cool. Yeah. Love that. And I worked at the Carlos Museum at Emory University in the Conservation Lab. Mm. Um, I was just, like, inputting data but I was literally like sitting next to a mummy on a table so <laughs> those are kind of cool things that I was like our world is weird and interesting yeah all the artifacts that come up that's amazing um can you tell us about a is there a book that you really enjoy that really speaks to you um my favorite book is I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith oh cool I haven't read that. There was a movie of it, too, right? Yeah, and I love the movie, too. She's actually the author of 101 Dalmatians. Oh. Really? Um, but this cool is, a, this is like, an adult book yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, focusing totally. on, like, coming of age in England um, yeah. kind of during the Depression. I'm going to read that. It sounds great. I'm always very interested in, in uh, stories that have been told both as a book and a movie and just the differences yeah. in... Um, but like what you may take out to do yeah. a movie, but what oh, is gosh. added in because it's visual. And it has one of the videos. best opening lines ever, which is, I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. Love it. So I'm there's your little that. teaser. Thank you. <laughs> do you have any other questions for you? Describe color. <laughs> uh, well, you're the artist. See, I'm the curator, so I'd flip it back on the artist, and I'd be like, well, how do you see color, and how can I say that in a way that makes sense to the viewer? That's a good answer. So there you go. Were there any memorable responses to any of the work on this exhibition that you've seen from other people? 
I literally took a viewer through the other day, and I was like, oh, I want you on all of my tours. And he, like, gasped at the string works. Oh. Which is like, these are so cool. Oh, they're so moved. <laughs> it's always yeah. good to get That's the enthusiasm cool. with, yeah. Yeah. And I've never had someone, like, visually respond that or, like... Yeah, that must be really Physically rewarding. respond that well. Yeah. So. And like you said, the string work was the one that you originally saw that made you interested yeah. in this artist, too. Very good. That. Well, that seems like a lovely place to end. Thank you, Aaron Dunn, so much for joining Thank you us. So much. And David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you, David. Mini interview. Hey, this is Tamara Garvey, and I'm with my good friend Laura Tilbarton at her space at City Market. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about the direction you're going in lately? Yeah, so most people know me for my Vibrant Botanicals, and I have pivoted and gone into figures lately, specifically for this show that I did back in, I think it was May, for 208 Wine Bar. And I did this kind of nightlife series. Um, with figures, various states of the evening from early just getting started to, you know, walking down the street, about to start the evening, all the way down to lying at the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're, it's figures in pretty complex environments. Yeah. And, they're, and they're bigger than you used to do, right? Yes. How did you, how, how was it for you making this transition into, what it is, this is like 40 by, how big is this? It's three foot by four foot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. It was so much fun, and this, honestly, is the fastest that I've worked. You know, as an artist, you'll attest to this. Sometimes a small piece can just take you forever. You're working on every detail, and then other times you've got a piece that you can finish in two sittings, and it can be quite large. Sometimes they just, like, burst out of you. So easy. Yes, that is exactly how this series was for me, and I'm so satisfied with how it turned out. And it was just, you know, when you're when you're inspired and you know exactly the direction you want to go in, yeah. sometimes it just comes right out in the best, most organic way. And that's how, you know, it's not always like that. So when it does happen, it's extra satisfying. One thing know? I think is cool, you said how, I mean, I know you used to do, and you still do a lot of botanicals and oysters, and these big paintings, they still have, like one of them has this huge plant in the foreground, and then another one I see that you've put one of your own paintings into the painting, which oh, I yeah. think is hilarious. <laughs> I love that. As a longtime fan, I recognize your painting in the painting. Yes, yes, got a third in there. And you said, and you work from photos for these? I do, yes. Yeah, so um, I had some friends go out with me to be my models because usually when I use a figure, I just do myself because it's easier. And then you don't have to worry about upsetting anyone about, you know, the way something looks. Like, it's me, like, you know, whatever. But I had some friends go out with me um, and photograph them throughout the night and got a couple of saucy images oh, to work from. the night went on? Yes. <laughs> Do you have to put your friends in, like, a dress or a tux like that? To oh, I them? totally had to change their outfits. Okay. No offense, love you, but, yeah, they got a makeover. <laughs> when, for your husband, was he wearing a tux Oh, my gosh. Photos? Okay, so this one is so funny. It is Craig, my husband, standing in what seems to be a hotel room overlooking the Chicago skyline. The reality of that night was he was trying on a tuxedo in our house in Savannah for a wedding that was coming up and he asked me to take a picture of him to uh, see how the tux was fitting if it needed to be altered and I took the picture and I in in reality was wearing shorts and sitting on the couch with a glass of wine and I framed the picture so you could see my legs and the glass of wine but it looks like I'm not wearing anything yeah those are some tiny shorts and I took the picture of him with my legs in the foreground and the wine, and I thought, oh my gosh, this would be such a sexy painting. And so, totally changed the interior and the exterior. We lived in Chicago for a little bit, so oh, okay. that's an homage to that. But, um, yeah, that's another example of how I work from photographs, yeah. but then I totally put my own spin on pretty much everything in it. So the whole series just started just from that, that you yes, took this did. random snapshot and thought. It did. I love that. Yes. That's fantastic. And then look at all these huge paintings that you mm-hmm. got out of that series. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, this is wonderful, Laura. It's so good to talk to you, and it was really cool to hear how this new <laughs> series started. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Tamara. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.